Okay, open your Bibles, if it's not already there, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let me encourage you to check your email today and look at your bulletin and be able to see some announcements in there, what's going on. I'll say some things at the very end as well, but wanted you to uh, make sure you see that. And it's also a children's bulletin. Um, most of you know that, but just in case you didn't know that, it's posted on our Facebook page and also through your email there. So please check that out. The kids can follow along as well. First Peter chapter number one. Uh, in 1820, March 24th, 1820, there was a lady or a young girl that was born, became a lady. Uh, she died at the age of 95. When she was born, she was born with sight. But then when she was a couple days old, a doctor came by and it was not the normal doctor. It was a Another doctor that came by and a stranger, to, really, to their family, put some ointment on this little baby's eyes, this little girl's eyes, and caused her to be blind. And for her entire life, she was blind because of a doctor or a person who at least uh, acted like as a doctor, uh, made a wrong diagnosis and applied some ointment that caused her blindness. A couple Months later, her father died, and so her mother was left with three young girls. She was aged, uh, widowed to age 21. And you look at this just from that point of view, it looks like a very tragic story. But as you actually study this woman's life, you see this, this was a woman who lived her life for the praise of the Lord, to praise God. Her name was Fanny Crosby. She wrote about 8,000 different hymns of praise to God. God used her life in an amazing way. She actually memorized much of um, the Pentateuch and the Gospels, the Song of Solomon, many Psalms, and she, she was a prolific uh, memorizer of Scripture. She loved the Lord. She praised the Lord, was taught by her mother and her grandmother to live her life in honor of the Lord. In fact, this is a quote that she said at the end of her life. She said, don't waste sympathy for me, speaking of her blindness, I'm the happiest person alive. I believe that God intended that I would live my days in physical darkness so that I might better be prepared to sing of his praise. So here was a lady who really had maybe a lot of reasons in this world people might think to be upset and have a grudge and see that life played her some bad cards. But actually, she looked at life as an opportunity and those problems as an opportunity to Praise God. Now, how does a person come to that perspective? Like, how did she come to that perspective? Well, Fanny Crosby understood what God had done for her. She understood who God was and what God had provided for her through Jesus Christ. And that was a great salvation. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to do a series on the great salvation of God, God's great salvation for us. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 down through verse 12. In the original language, this is actually one long sentence, and we're going to divide it up into three really paragraphs, three parts here. This is a doxology. That's a, that's a hymn of praise to God for what God has done for us. And the theme here is a doxology of praise for salvation. In fact, you can notice in these 10 verses where salvation is. If you look in verse 3, and we're born again into this salvation. You can see in verse 5 that we are guarded for this salvation. You can look at verse 9. It says we obtain the outcome of our faith. That's the salvation of our souls. Look at verse 10. You can see concerning this salvation. So, so this text here, these 10 verses, are about the salvation of God. This doxology, like I said, will be broken up by us into three different parts. And so verses 3 through 5 really is a song of, of praise for future salvation. So we're praising God for the great salvation that we have to look forward to when we get to be with him in glory. And then verses 6 through 9 speak of uh, the salvation that God has provided for us and how we view that in the present circumstances that we're in. So how do we view salvation in light of trials and difficulty? And so 
So Peter here encourages us to rejoice in his great salvation in spite of the problems. And then verses 9 through 12, look at the past when God uh, had his great salvation prophesied through the prophets and then proclaimed by the apostles and by the pastor teachers. And so these verses there encourage us to declare God's great salvation. So you can see those really three parts there. And in the next few weeks, we'll have a sermon about each of those, praising God for his great salvation and rejoicing in the midst of trials for his great salvation and then declaring his great salvation. Our text this morning is going to look at just the first part there, praising God for his great salvation. We're going to see four aspects of his great salvation this morning for which we should praise God for. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to go through each point And after each point, we're just going to gather together in prayer before the Lord and praise him for that uh, aspect of his great salvation. So I'm not going to read our text since I already did it this morning, but our text is verse 3 through verse 5. Let me pray and ask God's grace and blessing upon our time together. Let's pray. Father, we cannot understand your word without the Holy Spirit and without your illumination. We cannot apply the word without the Holy Spirit and his empowerment. So I pray that your spirit will fill us with understanding and with power to follow you in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a funeral I went to once of a lady named Fran, and this was out in South Carolina. It was about 10 years ago, 2009, maybe 11 years ago. This was a a godly woman. In fact, she was serving in Truth Trackers, uh, helping the children. And a couple weeks later, this lady passed away. And uh, as we went to her funeral, we walked in the doors there of the church I was at in South Carolina, and, and they were passing out lays for people. She was from Hawaii, so they passed out these lays. And the atmosphere was one of, was not a party necessarily, but it was joyful. Everyone was happy, and that, this was kind of the family's uh, desire for us to kind of rejoice in this. So it was not a typical funeral. In fact, after the funeral, they, they had us go to the gymnasium where they had a reception, and they had some cake, and... I can't remember everything that happened. I just remember it being one of the happiest funerals I've ever been to. And they actually said that's the kind of funeral she wanted. She was a woman who loved God. So how how does someone have, why does someone want to have a funeral like that? Like how do you, how do you come to that perspective? Well, it's from a lady who believed that, that her life did not end with that death. But she believed that her life continued on and that this was not a goodbye This was a wait and see you later until we could see her in glory. And so she wanted to be a celebration, really a send-off celebration for her to go to be with her Savior. When we truly understand the great salvation of God, it changes our perspective of life. It changes how we view death, and it changes how we view eternity. And it really changes our attitude to one of praise, to one of praise, to praise God. So you can see that in verse 3. What should our response be to his great salvation? We should praise God. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could say it this way, praise God. Praise the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why? Why should we praise God? Well, the next few verses tell us what God has done for us through Christ by his spirit. And first, we should praise God for his merciful regeneration. So that's our first point. Why should we praise God or how should we respond to God's great salvation? Praise God for his merciful regeneration. He says in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Verses 3 through 5 have three key verbs, three key participle verbs that talk about God rescuing us. So you can see the second one is in verse 4, God keeps us. In verse 3, God guards us. The first one is in verse um, 3, and it says, he has caused us to be born again. Now these, these words, these four or five words here in English are actually one word in the Greek. That actually means to beget, to cause to be born. It's kind of the actual idea of actual giving birth. So 
has caused us to, um, I'm sorry, this, this one right here is talking about the actual conception, the fact that we were given life. And so we're going to look at John chapter 3 in just a moment. And that actually is a little different where it talks about actually it's the picture of, of, of a lady giving birth. But here in this particular verse right here, it's actually the idea that God has been the initiator of our life. It's kind of the idea of, of uh, God gave us life through the conception of the word of God into our life. And we'll see some of that in a moment. But would you go over with me to John chapter 3? When, when, you, when you see this word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you see born again. What, did, what comes to your mind? And what would, what, have, what would have come to Peter's mind? I think Peter probably would have gone back to this story in, in John chapter 3 and thought of Nicodemus and Jesus who met at night. And John chapter 3 is a very familiar passage. Uh, it's a passage where Nicodemus, one of the Sanhedrin, remember the Sanhedrin were that group of people who, who trumped up charges against Jesus and they ended up having him being convicted and then crucified. Well, he, Nicodemus, was not one of those men that wanted Jesus to be crucified. He evidently was interested in learning the truth. And so he comes to Jesus at night, maybe because he was trying to be secret. Who knows? But verse 1 talks about him. And look at chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, the miracles that he was doing, unless God is with him. So picture this scene. Jesus is at night. Maybe he's in the housetop with, with Nicodemus, and they're, they're talking about God. I, sometimes when I'm at camp with kids and I preach the gospel to them, I'll go out afterwards and sit at a picnic table, and it's nighttime, and the stars are out, and it's actually a wonderful time to talk about God. Because you look up at the stars and you recognize the, the vastness, the majesty of who God is. And you think about your, really your smallness, your insignificance. And so you can imagine this scene here where they're talking about God. They're talking about eternity. They're talking about his soul. And Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus came from God. He says that in verse number two there. And then verse three, Jesus answered him. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless one is Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God has the idea of that's the place where God rules. So it's the idea of his presence. So, so the question really Nicodemus had was how does a person enter into the presence of God? And Jesus' answer is you have to be born again. God has to do a, must do a spiritual, supernatural work within your soul. Now th this must have shocked Nicodemus here. Nicodemus was considered a, an important person. He was a religious person. I mean, he considered himself as a person who would be in God's presence. Why wouldn't he? He teaches the Bible. He taught the Old Testament scriptures to people. He was one of the religious elites. So what did Jesus say must happen to Nicodemus in order for him to actually enter into God's holy presence? He says you must be born again. So again, remember, remembering in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this idea of being born again. And as I said earlier, these actually Greek words are two different types of words. In, in John chapter 3, verse 3, it's the idea of, of a, a woman delivering a baby. In, John, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it's the idea of conception, of, of bringing this baby uh, life, giving this baby life. So in John chapter 3 here, it's, it's, this, is, this is interesting. The verb here is, is an heiress, which means it's a point in time which makes sense because that's what happens when a person's born. You're born, you're born once, right? Not born a couple of times. It's one time it happens, and it's actually a passive. In other words, it's something that must happen to you, which is actually a great picture, too, of, of birth because it's, you didn't do anything to come in this world, right? I mean, if you go to a birthday party and the kid's bragging about everything he did to come into this world, like we would probably say, you're kind of crazy, right? In fact, sometimes I'll even tell my kids when it's their birthday, of course, we're celebrating them and giving them presents and I'll have them recognize that your mother was the one that did all the work. You did nothing except bring a lot of pain and cost a lot of money. And so anyways, but that, that's beside the point. The point is, is that if, if it's the good picture actually of what the work that God does, the Holy Spirit must do. And so here, this picture, this word here is the idea of, of a person being born into this world. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 57 this word is used when Elizabeth, the Bible says, bore a son. 
birthed the son, John the Baptist. And so Jesus taught that a person cannot be in God's presence unless they undergo a, a spiritual rebirth by God at a, a point in time in their life. And of course, this, this confused Nicodemus because he's actually not picturing spiritual birth. He's picturing physical birth. And so Nicodemus in verse 4 said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, that would be supernatural too, wouldn't it? But, but Jesus is like, no, no, that's the wrong kind of picture. And he goes into verse uh, 5, and he says to him, this is actually a different type of birth, not a natural birth. It's a supernatural birth. And he says in verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, that's God the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into God's presence. So verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So when you were born, you actually had within you your parents' DNA because you were born of their flesh. But he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When you're born again, God changes your nature to be like him. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus says this again here. I mean, he emphasizes this. This, there, there's no other alternative. Again, think about Nicodemus here. Here's a person who, who taught and, and thought his whole life that he had to be good enough for God and follow these rules in order for him to enter into God's presence. And for them, those religious leaders, it was just a given they were going to heaven. And here Jesus is saying, it's not a given, actually. In fact, actually, you can't enter into God's presence unless you experience rebirth, spiritual rebirth. I think as we consider the overwhelming majority of Americans, they actually think a lot like Nicodemus. They, they think that they should do something to get to heaven, or maybe they're good enough to get to heaven, and they look to their own maybe religion, or their own works. Jesus made it clear here, though. If you think like that, you're not going to be in God's presence when you die. You have no hope for eternity. The only hope you have is if God does a spiritual work within you. And so verse 9, Nicodemus basically asked the question, like, so how can I have this applied to me? Like, how does this work? You know, he says in verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Like, how does that all work? And then Jesus teaches, and he says really one of the most famous verses probably that is known in the world today, John 3, 16, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever or eternal life. So Jesus' answer was to, to really the question, how can I have this supernatural work applied to my life? Jesus says you have to believe. What do you believe? Well, you believe that you deserve to perish. That he, that's what he says there, that he sent the son so that we wouldn't have to perish, which means we deserve to perish which means we are going to perish in hell separated from God. So you must recognize you're a sinner. You deserve to perish in hell. But God loved the world, sent his son. He was punished in your place. And our response is to turn from our ideas and what we think life should be like and how we believe we could get to God and just believe in Jesus. So it's interesting, as you look at John chapter 3, you see Jesus over and over using this, this verb, born again. And like I said earlier, it's a, it's a, it's a aorist, it's a point in time, it's a, it's a passive, it's something that happens to you. But it's interesting, when Jesus uses the word believe, it's a present tense, it's continual. It's actually an active, it's something you're to do. And the action that our responsibility to God's work is for us to believe. God is the one who gives us new life. We are the one that receive that and believe that is true. So our part in this, again, is, is a continual faith in God's work. Believing is an action of saying, I'm going to turn from my way of thinking in my life and trust that Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. So go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And you got to think that Peter kind of had this idea in mind, this 
this picture of Jesus talked to Nicodemus when he says in verse 3 that we should praise God that he has caused us to be born again. We call this, in, in, um, as in a theological term, we call this regeneration. It's the idea that God brings us to life. So Peter says, praise God that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be regenerated, to be born again. And again, th this word, and here's a little different idea. It's the idea of conception. So God is the one who actually causes our life to start. In fact, look down in verse 23. You can see this idea here as well. In 1 Peter 1, 23, he says, Peter says, since you have been born again. So same word, same idea as in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So the picture there is that the word of God is like a seed that, that conceives spiritually in your heart and gives you new life. Let me just pause to say, brother and sister in Jesus Christ, the only reason that you have a desire for God and any hope to be with God is because he has done a supernatural work in you when you first believed. So if you're living a life of faith and believing the gospel, you have spiritual life because God is the one who has done a work in you. And what should be your response to that? Praise God, right? Now, here's a question. Why did God do that for you? I mean, was it because you're such a special person? And maybe you think, oh, maybe, maybe God likes me a lot. Actually, the reason is, given in verse number three, it says, we're born again according to his great mercy. According denotes the reason or the cause. The reason God gave you spiritual life was mercy. So what is this word mercy? Probably one of the best ways to understand this word is to, to go back to the Old Testament and see how people like Peter would have understood this word mercy when he read the Old Testament scriptures. And so, uh, so God said his mercy caused Cause us to be born again. And so what's this idea of mercy? Well, in the Old Testament, this idea is, is that God brought us into a special relationship of love with him. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, Exodus chapter 3, or chapter 34, verse 6. And it's, in, it's really in the context of God establish, establishing a covenant with Israel. Why did God establish a covenant with Israel? Was it because they were so faithful? Yeah, that's not the case. Like, just read through the story of Israel. Was it because they were such great people? No, God says it's because of his mercy. In fact, one of, one of the verses that are probably one of the most well-known verses in the Old Testament in regard to God's mercy is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. You can see it there on the screen. And... In Limitations 3.22, the Bible says it's because of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. And the, and the Hebrew, the, this word mercy is hesed. And so that's the, in, in, in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, that was the equivalent there for that word. And so you see, it's because of the Lord's mercies. Now, you might have a translation that translates that as God's loving kindness. And so, so in the Old Testament, that word hesed is sometimes translated in English as loving kindness or steadfast love. And so it's the picture there that, listen, if it wasn't for God's steadfast love for you, you would be consumed. In other words, we all deserve at any moment to drop dead and go straight to hell. Why doesn't God do that? Well, God has mercy upon us. And for those who are his children, it's an everlasting mercy. It's an everlasting loving kindness he has. If you notice on your screen, you'll see uh, Exodus chapter 34, 34, verse 6. This is when God established a covenant with his people, and he went before them, and he, he proclaimed who he was, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed, or mercy, or you could say it this way in English, steadfast love and faithfulness. So mercy has this idea that, that God has covenantal love 
that he extends to you, not because you deserve it. In fact, you're, you're in a miserable state. He does it because he chooses to love you. This should remind us of what we talked about last week when we talked about foreknowledge. You can look up in verse 2, and you can see that word foreknowledge there. Remember, we said this is the reason why you were elected. If you're a child of God, you're elect, you're chosen because of God's foreknowledge. And foreknowledge isn't just God knowing something. It's actually God choosing to set his love upon you before time, before creation. So the reason, the only reason that, that you have God's love in your life, the only reason that you have any type of forgiveness in your life, Christian, brother and sister in Christ, is because God has chosen to set his love upon you because God has shown you mercy or love. And so, so the origin of this new birth comes from his covenantal love for you. So again, what's our response to this merciful regeneration? It should be to praise God. We should live our life of, as a life of praise. Now, when a new movie comes out that you really like, maybe you're a Star Wars fan or maybe you are an Avengers fan, I mean, how, how do you respond to that when that happens? Or when, you're, when your basketball team, you know, wins or your sports team, or, or maybe when Disneyland opens up again, some of you are going to be like, next day, you're going to be there. When something exciting happens in this world, how do you respond? Well, you usually respond in praise and excitement, right? And tell everyone, hey, this movie's out. Can you believe, are you going to go see it? When are you going to see it? When are you going to this? How should we respond to God rescuing our souls from hell? We should praise him. So let's do this. This is not the end. We're only a third of the way through. Let's gather uh, before the throne of the Lord and praise and praise him for his great salvation. Father, we are so thankful that you have rescued us according to your mercy. Thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next, we're to praise God for the anticipated resurrection. So look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And then here's the next part, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The next three clauses here after born again uh, show us the result of the new birth. So we're born again to a living hope, to an inheritance in verse 4, and then to a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, verse 5. So look, let's look at the first one, to a living hope. This is the first result of the new birth, according to here Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We have hope, a, a living hope. Now, the word hope in the scriptures is more than just a desire. We, as Americans, use the word hope and just hoping something will happen, a desire for something to happen. For instance, I might say, I, I hope to have ice cream tonight. Sounds like a good idea. Stay down. Stay city. Don't go get ice cream, please. But I'm probably not going to have ice cream because uh, my wife is helping me not eat so much during this time of COVID-19. So I'm trying not to gain the, the COVID-19, okay? And so, so I, I might hope to have that, but I'm probably not going to. Although the, I am hoping afterwards to eat with my family afterwards. And what's the difference? Well, in the second one, I'm actually expecting to do that. And in fact, I'm anticipating having some delicious hamburgers. Ooh, that sounds really good right now. Again, stay seated and just keep listening while my stomach growls. But the difference is, and, and the idea of the biblical hope, is that we, in, we anticipate, we're, we're looking forward to something, and we expect that it will happen. And so what are we anticipating? What is our hope in? It's in that there's a life to come. Like, this is not all there is, right? I, I'm not just trying to live as long as I can and then just die. I'm actually living my life now in hope that there's a life that's going to happen after this. And it's not just any kind of type of life. It's actually a, a resurrected life. What is resurrection? Resurrection has the idea that it's similar to the life you have now. So I have a body right now. A resurrected body is actually not completely new. It's actually, it's a recreation in some sense of what I already have now. And God is going to recreate the world for us. We're going to have a new heaven, a new earth. We're going to have new bodies that are resurrected bodies. 
So our, our hope is a living hope. It's, it's a hope that our lives won't just end here, but actually we have expectation that our lives will continue on. And what's that, what's that resurrection hope based on? Well, you can see in verse number three, he says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus' death was brutal. It was final. There was no debate if Jesus truly died there on that cross. And when he was buried, he rose again. And his resurrection, it proved that his victory was accomplished. When Jesus walked out of that tomb with a new resurrected body, he promised us that he would extend that resurrection to us. So when we believed in Christ, our souls were resurrected. And then we look forward to the day when our bodies will be resurrected. When will that happen? Well, it will happen when we see Jesus. And do you realize that could happen at any moment? Listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds very uh, similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit imperishable. So flesh can't inherit spirit. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, Christians, there will be a number of Christians that actually don't die. You're like, well, what does that mean? But we will all be changed in a moment, in, a, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. In other words, there's a day that Jesus is going to come back. We're going to go to be with him, and he will change us. He'll give us our resurrected bodies. And look, Listen to verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So as as born-again believers, we live with this daily hope that Christ will soon come, and he will give us a resurrected life based upon his resurrection. And And this reality of The resurrection to come is why, friends, we don't have to fear our present circumstances. You know, we, again, as we constantly remind ourselves, we're in this time of craziness and difficulty in our country and really a lot of of fear. A lot of people have a lot of fear during this time. But for the Christian, that should not be the case. So definitely we should protect ourselves and we should love others by protecting them. But we shouldn't be afraid. We have another life to come. The truth is, our lives might end this week, either by death or the Lord coming back. And so we have something to look forward to. I was reading a blog this past week that spoke of Martin Luther and how he went through a time um, in his life when his city that he was a part, that he lived in with Wittenberg there in Germany was, um, was attacked by a plague that came through. And Through the Middle Ages, there were a number of plagues that came through and just wiped out people. In fact, this person described what this plague was like that came through his town there. It says that in just one day, the infected showed signs of fever and delirium, speech disorders, loss of consciousness. Shortly thereafter, they would break out in large boils, which infected the bloodstream and rapidly led to their demise. And... And he said, basically, one healthy individual could get this disease, and three to ten days later, he could die. And so this, in, in 1527, this plague came through their city, and people were fleeing for their lives. His wife was pregnant, and so a lot of people encouraged him, you should probably leave as well, your, your life. People considered him to be an important person. You know, he's the lead reformer. And his wife and his baby, like, you should save them and, and go. And, but they decided to stay. And this is what he He said, this is a quote from from Martin Luther. He said, yes, no one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who will take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. In such cases, we must respect the word of Christ. I was sick and you did not visit me. In other words, Jesus says we should take care of those who are in need. According to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress but is obligated to assist and help him 
as he himself would like to be helped. So here is Martin Luther and his wife, and they decided to stay in a city that had many people who were dying. In fact, not only that, they actually invited people into their home for his wife to take care of these sickly people. Like, how could someone do that? Like, think about that. You're like, that's crazy. But Martin Luther's goal in life wasn't to live as long as possible. But his goal in life was actually to to live for Jesus Christ, to tell people the gospel, recognizing that he's going to die, and there's going to be a resurrected life for him, and he wants as many people as possible to experience that hope as well. So if he can stay in a city that has people dying, and he can tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, those people can hear about the resurrection power of Jesus, then that's actually what life is about. And again, it's not the idea that he was foolish. In fact, I read some things that said that he took precautions and tried as much as possible to protect his family with the knowledge that they had back there in the 1500s. But but it's the idea that he he had this faith in the Lord that God had a future for him that was one of resurrection. And, and, and again, we're in a time where, where fear can grip our hearts, but we shouldn't allow fear to control us. It should be faith in the Lord. And what's the faith in? And sometimes I've had some people in the past couple weeks come on the property, and when we do food share, and they'll say, I have faith. I'm not going to get sick. This sickness won't kill me, you know, and I'm a Christian too. And they point at me, and I'm like, uh, Actually, it might kill you. <laughs> like, like, God actually might do that. Like, we're not invincible people on this earth as Christians, right? So if you have that idea, I'm a Christian, therefore I won't ever get sick. Yeah, it's not in the Bible, okay? So that's, you probably shouldn't think that way. But you're invincible in this way, and that is even if you get a sickness, and even if you do die, you got a resurrected life that you're going to have in the future. And so we should be careful. We should definitely love people and, and not just be foolish. And honestly, that even that way of thinking is foolish when you— when you think, oh, I'm never going to get sick, so I don't really care. And that's not really very kind to other people, and it's not true either. But, but my point is, is that we should have this hope in our lives that God has something else for us. And therefore, we don't go around and go, oh, I'm so scared about everything. We go, I'm going to go around. I'm going to serve Jesus in the context that he puts me. And so we, we should praise God. Praise God for this anticipated resurrection that he has for us. So again, I'm about two-thirds of the way through my sermon here. So let me praise God for this, and once you praise God with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the promise, the hope of anticipated resurrection. We're going to die. We all know that, or your son could come back. And, and so we look forward to the time when this world will melt away. You will create a new world for us, and we get to live with you in your presence forever. And you restore, you restore our bodies to health, our souls to, to holiness, and our fellowship with you to perfection. Thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The third aspect of this great salvation that God has done for us is we are to praise God for his heavenly reservation. So that's point number three. We praise God for his heavenly reser- reservation. So look at verse three. I'm sorry, verse four. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. So that's the idea of reservation. It's reserved. It's kept in heaven for you. The second clause here that explains the results of the new birth to God's children is that he gives us an inheritance. So what's an inheritance? If I were to say to you that, hey, someone came by the church this week and they were looking for you and and for your address, and they said that they um, know you and there's a relative that has a couple million dollars and they're looking for you because they want to know how to pass on that news to you to let you know that you have an inheritance. Obviously, you probably would be pretty skeptical about that. But let's say you had a hint that maybe it was true. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, I think I do have a relative that has a lot of money and I think he might be looking for me. And I mean, how would you respond to that? You'd be like, oh, wow, really? I got an inheritance coming, like millions of dollars? Like, that would probably change your life a little bit today. How, how would you respond to that? Well, honestly, a million dollars isn't very much compared to the eternal inheritance God has given to us. That inheritance that you might receive, honestly, could be gone when the markets change, right? And that's happened to a lot of people this year. Definitely will be gone when you die, and someone will have it after that. On Sunday evenings, I think it is, there's a, um, 
there's a show that's going on called The Last Dance, and it's about Michael Jordan and the 1990s. And so if you were a 90s kid or a teenager, you grew up and you probably are watching that or at least wish you could have ESPN so you could watch it. That's the case I'm in right now. But you, you think about Michael Jordan in those years and all that happened. And I grew up in Indiana, so there's a couple seasons. It's a little painful because uh, how they treated the Pacers. Anyways, that's another story. That's not truth. That's just my opinion. Anyways, but you think about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, uh, three years ago, his agent said, um, was offered to speak at something. And basically, he had to be there for two hours. Just show up for two hours, say some words, and they were going to give him $100 million. So think about that. You're invited to something, and all you have to do is show up, and you get $100 million for two hours. He turned it down, which shows you how rich Michael Jordan is, right? He's worth $2.1 billion. He has five children, so when he passes, I'm assuming that they'll split that among their children. So that would be $400 million per child. So, so let's say that was inherited to you. What would you think about that? But our inheritance that we receive from the Lord is nothing compared to that. I mean, those children may receive that inheritance. I mean, it could be Michael Jordan lives till he's like 105 and they don't get to ever have it. But even so, even if they get it, they're going to die and that'll be passed on. It's perishable. But we have an inheritance that is imperishable. In fact, look at, uh, he says in verse 4, three adjectives to describe this heavenly inheritance. He says it's imperishable. That's the idea that it can't corrupt or decay, which is everything on earth, right? Everything on earth is, in some sense, is decaying and rusting and falling apart. At some point, it will at least. And then it's undefiled. That's the idea that, uh, that everything in this world has some kind of defects or will have at some point, and then it's unfading. That means it's eternal. So it's kind of given the negative of what it's not, but from the positive end, we can recognize from this that our inheritance is one that's eternal, it's perfect, it's holy, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And what will that inheritance look like? Well, we don't have time to go into all the details of it and go to all the passages to look at it, although that would be kind of fun. But I would say, basically, it's this right here. It's, it's all the blessings that flow from the goodness and faithfulness of God. That's the inheritance. It's all the blessings that flow from the goodness and faithfulness of God. And can I just tell you one of the sweetest and most enjoyable blessings that flow from God's faithfulness and goodness is himself. It's himself. In fact, listen to this verse in Psalm 16, 5. O Lord, you, the psalmist says, you are the portion of my inheritance. The joy of, of our inheritance is the opportunity to enjoy God in a perfect environment. It's the opportunity to enjoy God in a perfect environment. And so we get to live in this, this, this new creation with this new life so that we can celebrate and thank God for eternity, for what he's done for us. So if you're a born-again believer, you have an inheritance. It's, it's kept in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for you. So what does that mean for us now? I mean, does that mean we should just be like, well, just wait for it to take place. Wait till I go to heaven and get this inheritance. You know, I'll just sit down and, and watch TV all day and just kind of wait, waste my life away until finally I get to die and go to heaven. That's going to be when everything really starts, right? Is that, is that kind of the idea that, in fact, I've even heard, frankly, in this season of, of COVID-19, I've heard that people have said things like, you know, it's, isn't it nice just to be able to sit around and do nothing? You know, isn't it nice that we can just have this time to relax and we can have this time where we can just, just you know, it's kind of like peaceful. And in some sense, I understand that, especially when life is busy. But for the Christian, that's actually not our perspective, right? We, we, our perspective is our life is short. Like, we only got a couple moments Hours, years, days, we don't know how long to live. And so for the Christian, it's actually, rest is actually heaven. <laughs> that, that time of rest and doing nothing is heaven. And, and now is a time for us to get to work and do the things of the Lord. And I understand if we're restricted and being able to do some of that. And so some of the things we want to do, maybe we, we can't do. But there should be this earnestness, this desire. This is, I, I got to do something for Jesus. Like, I don't have much time in this world. And that actually comes from this idea of inheritance. In fact, look at the screen. You can see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, whatever you do, so 
whatever you do, and honestly, whether that means you're working a job or you have to stay home and there's nothing for you to do, you know, quote unquote, nothing for you to do. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord, listen to this, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward because you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So we work hard now. Like our life is dedicated to Jesus Christ now. Everything we do, we do it for the Lord. Why? Because there's an inheritance for us. And what is our inheritance again? It's the, it's the inheritance of joy, of being with our Savior and enjoying his blessings. So think about this way. Like you have a job and if you, if you have as your goal to, to make as much money as possible, then you're going to do everything you can to make as much money as possible. And in the end of it, your reward is going to be your money, right? But that money is helpful because it provides for your needs, hopefully can help other people with their needs. But the money will, will fade away. It will go away. So therefore, your reward will go away. If you live to be popular or liked, you know, you're one of those people on Instagram. What are they called? Influencers. You're an influencer, you know? And so you just live for that next, you know, love, like, whatever it is. And, if, and even if in life, you're like, I, just, I, need, I need people to like me in order for me to have true value in this world. If you live for that, your inheritance really is that like or is that person liking you. But the problem is, is that, first of all, people will forget about those likes. You will forget about those likes, right? Um, unless you get one, like, from two years ago, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I had that many likes. But that will fade away, and, and people will honestly will reject you. Some people that are friends with you will someday turn their back on you. So you, in some sense, lose that reward. You, you might live your life for the next, like, event or high. You know, it's like, I can't wait for this movie to come out, you know. And now you're like, oh, there's no movies in the movie theater. I can't even survive, you know. Or, or maybe you're living your last high for that event and, and that next vacation and the next trip. And the truth is that that reward is, is the high of that, right? You watch the movie, you get done with it, and you're just kind of like, oh, what, what's next in life? And so, and so if your job and if your life and if well, how people think about you, if it's all about the things of this world, that will all fade away. But if you do your job for Jesus, if you honestly put your 100% in it for Jesus and you work hard for Jesus, if you live your life for Jesus, if you do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, your inheritance is God himself. He says, whatever you do, do, do your work heartily as to the Lord because you're going to receive an inheritance. And again, what is that? It's the blessings of Jesus and actually Jesus himself. And Jesus and his blessings are an eternal reward that we have waiting for us. And so we're to do everything knowing that we have a reservation in heaven and it's an inheritance God has for us. And we're going to actually end it right there. We have one more point. We really want to focus on this one, this next point next week, which talks about the power of his preservation, is the power of his protection. And talk about eternal security next week and how we should praise God for that. So what's our response when we think about God's merciful regeneration, the anticipated resurrection, the heavenly reservation? We should praise God. At the beginning of my sermon, I told you about Fanny Crosby, who wrote a lot of songs, songs that you're probably familiar with yourself if you're a Christian. And one day, there's a musician that came, and he sat down, and he played a tune, and he said to Fanny, Fanny, what does this say to you, this tune? And so Fanny thought, listened to it, and then she came up, according to the story, on the spot with the words to Blessed Assurance. And honestly, the song Blessed Assurance is, a, I don't know if she was thinking about this passage right here, but it's a wonderful tie-in to this passage, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Think about the words to this song as I as I say them to you here, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir, that means I'm actually get the inheritance, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Listen to verse two. Perfect submission, perfect delight, 
Visions of rapture now burst from my sight. Angels descending ring from above. Echoes of mercy and whispers of love. In verse 3, perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. I thought, you know what we could do at the very end here? Let's just sing that together. So Isabel, why don't you come up here? I'll have her play it on the violin. And it's not going to be professional here, but we're just going to try it. So at home, would you just sing Blessed Assurance with us as we play it up here and sing? And I want you to think about the words for this song. Really, it's a great, I think you're going to have to do it back here, sweetie, on that violin there, or on that uh, microphone, sorry. Uh, Think about the words to this song and just the assurance that God gives us that he has provided for us a great salvation. Would you do this as we sing this? Think about all the truths that we just talked about and then just sing this as a praise to God. Maybe you're a person in here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. You have never turned and repented and believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior But may I encourage you this morning that you can have the blessings of the Lord. You can have this perspective if you turn to him. You can have new life in Christ. It's not by your works. It's not by you being religious. It's actually by you turning and believing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So let me encourage you, wherever you're at right now, just to go before the Lord in humility and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I deserve to perish. I deserve to be punished for my sins separated from you, but I believe your son died in my place. And I give you my life. Would you do that this morning if you're not in Christ? And if you're a believer in Christ, would you sing this? as kind of our ending prayer to the Lord. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Okay, let's sing it together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Artisans of rapture now burst from my side. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Sing it out. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day. Let's do the third verse. Ready? Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, 
looking upon, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Father, we do praise you for the great salvation you provided for us. This isn't just us imagining something, it's not us just rehearsing something we were taught. We truly believe your word that life is about you and you have provided something for us that is something we can understand and some small degree on this earth but truly can't uh, fully comprehend just how much you love us and how great your mercy is to us. So we're just, we just want to live a life of praise. We want to thank you right now in our prayer and say thank you, Father, for your plan. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us new life. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us on the cross. God, thank you for bringing us to new life. And thank you for the hope that we have of eternal life. Oh, Lord, when we look at this world and all the problems, we can be overwhelmed and we can think we don't want to be here anymore. But you've called us here, so we're here to serve you. Help us to do it heartily as the Lord, not unto man. And then, God, we look forward to Christ coming. Lord Jesus, would you come this week? Would you come today? And we look forward to being with you in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just give you a couple announcements, and that is tonight we are not having a Zoom uh, call. And then Tuesday we have a missionary. Um, they were just here, the Vogels, that we'll be talking to on Tuesday. Uh, we're not certain about who's Thursday, but we hope to have another Zoom call on Thursday with the missionary. So we've had some wonderful calls this past week. If you haven't been a part of that, please contact the office so that we can um, get you into that Zoom call. It's been a blessed time to be able to talk to our missionaries, to pray for our missionaries. And so, so Tuesday and Thursday of this week. Also, I want you to know, church, that hopefully you're still with us here, that um as your elders, we've been meeting, um, not every week, but almost every week, and we pray for you um, individually, And uh, but one of the things we're praying about is how can we gather again, and so I want you to know we're not idly sitting by, you know, waiting for uh, months to happen until we can gather. We're praying and considering how can God allow us at some point to gather safely with precautions and and, and all that. So I just ask you, would you pray for us? We need wisdom as elders. Uh, we need to know how God wants us to move forward. We need um, we need God to really intervene into our government, our state, our federal government to give us more freedom with that. We need God to um, help our country with this disease and heal our land in that sense, physically. Um, and we need God to just guide us. And so just pray with us about that, and uh, we're still planning um, to do the live stream this week and next week, and so we're that's still our plan, um, so don't get any ideas that it's changing this week. But, um, but I just want you to know we are thinking about it. We are praying about it. I've had people ask me, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And, and honestly, whenever we think we know, <laughs> it's like, I think it's going to end in 14 days. And by the end of April, we just don't have any ideas right now, but we are praying about it, considering it. And when, once we know something, we will have, um, we'll clearly communicate that to you. And I uh, just want you to know that. So make sure that you're getting our emails, you're reading them. We'll uh, hopefully be able to communicate um, some ideas this week of just how you can pray for us as a church in regard to that. Uh, we're also trying to make plans for the summer. So that's a part of that as well. And so just please be praying for your elders as we make decisions. Uh, again, be praying and contacting each other. And this is a difficult time for many people, um, especially those who are by themselves at home. And, and so uh, please be praying for those people who were already shut-ins before, and now by, um, because of this virus, they're now shut-ins. So pray for them. And uh, pray for our country. Pray that this will 
cause our country to turn back to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes spiritually, um, but also behind the scenes of our government that we don't know about. And so we need to pray for our, our, our government. We need to pray for our state, for our governor, and, and, uh, and pray that God will intervene and, and that God will um, really give us wisdom to know how we should uh, wisely, peacefully uh, interact with our government and with our, um, with our country and so that we can um, worship the Lord together. So please be praying for us in that regard and uh, know this, that we love you and we're praying for you and can't wait for the day when we can actually all be together um, in this building, but most importantly, in glory with Jesus Christ. So we look forward to Christ's coming. May he come quickly. May it be today. Amen? May it be today. Let's um, live our day in light of that reality.